You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Province Sports Podcast. Welcome to the White Towel Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Ed Willis. Just want to give you a reminder that Jeans Day is coming up on May 2nd. Please join Canuck Ambassador Brock Besser as one of the big supporters of Jeans Day to support Children's Hospital. Go to jeansday.ca to find out more. Uh, Ed, we were going to call this episode of the White Towel Old Men Yelling at Clouds uh, as we're talking about what we were going to discuss. Yeah, because Get Off My Lawn never really got any traction, so we're going <laughs> to move up to the to the next logical uh, thing. So, we're, you know, we'll talk some Canucks, we'll talk playoffs, uh, we'll throw some Giants in there as well just in terms mm. of the local market and how things are going. I did want to revisit a little bit uh, last week's discussion because it seems to have got some traction. And let's be clear. You got a piece of information that there had been contact between Mike Gillis and Francesco Aquilini, and that's all. It's yep. not suggesting he's going to get the job, that he's the front runner, but it was interesting that he uh, was contacted. And yet this has now been a full seven days of discussion in other local media. I find it amusing. Amongst yeah, well, other things. I, yeah, yeah, no, like I think it speaks to the vacuum which exists around the Canucks right now. So any little tidbit that floats across people's radar screen, they're going to grab and, and and run with. Um, yeah, like I got, it's a piece of intel that that's all it is. I think it's interesting because I, I think it says something about where the Canucks are as an organization that they are casting about. That I think it's pretty clear they are looking for a president or at least entertaining that notion whether or not they go down that road, whether or not they find the right guy. And everybody knows the names out there. But I just think it's interesting that, you know, that, that, that contact was made. I think it's also interesting when you look around the NHL because there's a couple of shoes that have to drop here. And I think once they, I, I think this is again theorizing here, you know, the, the Canucks situation will be a lot more clear. Once Edmonton gets their guy, once the Rangers name their president, and then you know, so so and and also I I think I'm not 100 percent sure of this. I know Seattle has been making noise about hiring their G, GM in advance of whatever year it is they're going to start. So there are kind of, like I said, a couple of shoes that have to drop before maybe they get to the Canucks, and I th- I think that will be w- worth watching here over the next month. Do you think that that process Ed, is impacting what's going on here at all? Like looking at what I think Vegas changed the conversation for everyone with how well things worked out there. And that has to piss off a lot of current owners. And so if you're looking around going, I don't want that to happen in Seattle. Is that shaping their, their thought at all? Is shaping Seattle's or shaping shaping Vancouver's thought that they're looking at, they're looking at what might happen in Seattle and thinking, 
Hold on, should we be on some in on something here? I think there's two responses there. I think there's kind of like that sort of immediate visceral one that, you know, God, here we are. We've been wandering in the wilderness the last four years. These idiots show up, give the NHL $600 million. They get a ready-made team. They're in the Stanley Cup final, and they're, they're in, in, in the space of not even a whole season. They're an elite NHL team. So I think there's that. I don't know what kind of lessons you can derive from that, though, because like, like the whole expansion process was so skewed in Las Vegas's favor, and then they exploited those circumstances so expertly with George McPhee, you know, just like the puppet master, making these amazing moves. So I, I, I don't know, like the Canucks, no other team will be in that position. And I dare say Seattle won't be in that position because if the other 30 GMs in the NHL weren't paying attention what happened in Las Vegas, then there is a real problem there. So I, I think it, it adds a little pressure, and I think the presence of a, a, a you know competition in Seattle adds pressure too. I'm just not sure how that affects the whole decision-making process going forward. My fear, I guess, for the Canucks or for Canuck fans would be the idea that the plan isn't really as unified as it looked, as we've seen what's happened over yeah. the last couple of years. I mean, obviously, you get young players excel on the ice. That's a great story, and you think you're on the right track. But when I consistently look at teams that are doing well in all pro sports, it's sort of all singing from the same hymn sheet. Is it is it fair to say that's not happening here, or especially yeah. if you're adding another yeah. piece to the puzzle? Yeah, I, th I think you know, it depends on how you want to frame it, but I think there's a real fear that the Canucks are being left behind in the fan base. I think there are clear trends taking place in the NHL, and, and, and it, it, it involves how you build your organization, who you hire, the various departments you have, how you go about the process of drafting and developing, player personnel, pro scouting, all those things. And I look at that Canucks operation, and yeah, they've got some good people in place, but it's a kind of a minimalist operation compared to 95% of the other teams in the league. And I think it's starting to show up. And I just look at that situation in Utica this year, and I was kind of, full disclosure, I'm a fan of Ryan Johnson's. I think he does a good job. I think he's been dealt a shitty hand there, whatever. But I think that really is shaping up to be a tipping point. What happened in in Utica this season, the failure of those like the players like Gadjevich and, and Cole Lynn to really develop at all this season, trading Jonathan Dallin, that's, you know, that's three misses in a row. I think that's going to really shape up to be like like, like a real like I said a real tipping point, a real talking point for Canucks fans going forward. It's, it's such. I have to stop saying going forward, don't I? That I know there's a whole yeah. debate about that whether the appropriateness of it. It just I don't know. Kind of sounds right. It rolls off the tongue. Well, you don't want to go backward. No, I suppose, I suppose not. Forward looking, Moving you could ahead. say instead of going yeah. forward, forward yeah, looking. Yeah, yeah. Okay, our dear departed friend. Well, departed as in left the building, Jonathan McDonald used to always say that, along with pondering. <laughs> Forward-looking. Anyway, as we are forward-looking to the process here, let's look backwards a little bit. Um, and yeah, the Utica debate to me is an interesting one because, again, if you look at the elite-level players that the Canucks appear to have, or close to elite, with you know, we all know mm -hmm, more about sure. Besser, yeah. Hughes, Pedersen. You appear to have looked after your goaltending. The success of, as we look at the teams that are doing well in the playoffs, the success of this team really is going to consist of those solid next level yeah. guys. And that is all the guys you've mentioned, whether you throw Jet Wu into the mix, Gadjevich. This whole development model, 
I know the old school hockey thing that we heard. You have to earn your minutes. You have to learn how to win. Whereas you see other other organizations going, look, we don't care what our win-loss record is with our, our farm team. We want these guys to get minutes. We want them to be in meaningful situations. The wins and losses will look, will look after themselves. Is that model change? Do you sense that there's a bit of a culture clash a little bit in the NHL in terms of how you treat your development model? I'm not sure about that because I think there's some universalities that have been in play and always will be in play in the NHL. But but, but I do look at some of the successful uh, franchises and look at their model. And the one that springs to mind is Tampa Bay. Uh, Four, five, six years ago, I don't have the exact date off the top of my head. You know, their American League team featured guys like Ryan Johnson, Palat, Alex Coyne, that next wave that the Canucks so desperately need to develop, and they they played together. This is embarrassing. I can't even remember what team they played for, but Trent Cull, the coach in Utica, was an assistant on that team. They played together. They had a lot of success together. They moved up uh, to to Tampa virtually all at the same time and supplied those support level, but not like really good support level players too. And that's what the Canucks need to have. They just can't rely on picking like like lottery picks. There has to be depth and flow and everything in the organization. So as much as Gadjevich and, and and Lind are kind of one off, you look down the road and as as you said, they've got they've got Tyler Madden coming. They've got Chet Wu coming. They've got the Rathbone kid coming. They've got Michael DiPietro coming. Excuse me, Mikey DiPietro coming. That should be the next wave. That should be the support system. And there's there's one thing that's clearly missing. From the Canucks right now, it's depth in the organization and in the NHL team. So, you know, they've got some pieces in place. Now, can they develop them to the point where they make an impact on the NHL team? That's a big, big question. And it's ultimately maybe the biggest test for the Benning administration. Is Jim Benning the guy to run the whole show or does there need to be someone above him and he's leaning more towards scouting? The question with Jim isn't his, you know, ability to scout talent or assess talent, all those things. I think, you know... Virtually everybody agrees he's a superb scout. He's an elite-level scout. He understands that part of the game, but does he have the vision to put together an organization to do all the things you need to do? And, you know, scouting scouting and, and, and assessing talent is obviously a huge component of that, but it, it is so by far not the only one. And and you have to have you have to be able to like you know build this matrix where where you've got people in place, really good people in place, overlooking all these different areas, whether it's analytics or whether it's player development or whether it's team service, whatever it is. And there's got to be kind of like a homogenous whole to that, and that's what I see in the really good franchises around the NHL that, quite frankly, I don't see in the Canucks right now. It's funny. I think we we're going to talk about the playoffs later on. But no, I, keep, I was right now actually. Yeah, well, yeah. okay. Well, we'll we'll do this segue then. I mean, I look at Dallas and the way they've developed that team over the last three, four years, and there should be a model there for the Canucks. They're not a like not a massive budget operation. I understand you're smirking because of the ownership situation. Well, I was just going to say, <laughs> can you call Francesco Aquilini and tell him that to give his buddy Tom Gillardi a call and say, hey, we'd like to study what you're doing down there a little bit. But but uh, <laughs> you know, like like it's not a massive operation. But you know you, they they built that team. I, I'm pretty sure the only top five pick they have in the lineup that they drafted and developed is is Mir Eiskanen, who's 
just dazzling for me. He's, yeah, he's, he's not he's, a bad one to tell. No, have. he's been like he's been one of the two, three breakout players in the, in these playoffs for me so far. They traded for Sagan, but that's a little different animal. But they developed these guys like Hints and Dickinson and Faxa. Faxa was a first rounder. I get that, but the other guys are you know the, I I believe both Hints and Dickinson were second. I know Hints was a second rounder. Dickinson in in, in there somewhere. Uh, the the Lindell kid who's <laughs> despite his it was a little embarrassing that act in 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 game game three i guess it was yeah the, the the diving but he's a hell of an nhl defenseman so you've got that and then they had those established players they had ben they had radulov they had sagan but that's what they did they did they're now developing that second wave and that's what makes them so dangerous and so important in my mind. Well, we we talk about this all the time, looking like which models should you follow, or, yeah, yeah. you know, draft, and all that stuff's important. But I, if I look at Columbus and Dallas, two teams that are surprising that they are where they are, frankly, it's because they had balls. I mean, getting Sagan, you go back to the Sagan right. deal, that took balls to make a big move like that. I, obviously, we know what happened in Columbus going – Oh, these guys aren't going to resign here. Maybe we should do the safe thing, which I thought they should do, and peel off for more draft draft picks and reloaded. They said, nope, push your chips to the center yeah. of the table, and it's paying off for them. I mean, sometimes I think whether it's Jim Benning or whoever, I think there's a t- – you look at the Leafs. The Leafs, uh, they made one move at the trade deadline, and they desperately needed help on defense. And you know what? You have to give up something to get get something. Yeah. But again, I, another example is Nashville. I look at Nashville, look like they were a hair away from the Stanley Cup and haven't been able to get back there and, in fact, are getting further away. Right. I think when, as a general manager, when you sense you have a chance to go in, all in, I think you should go all in. Well, I, I think so. And so I guess the question we can ask are the Canucks there right now. I think I think they're getting there. I, I think this offseason will tell a real story about whether they go and sign that top six forward they talked about or trade for an upgrade on their defense. I think that positions them. But I'm sorry, I see the eight teams that made the playoffs in the West. And some of them have started to decline. You mentioned Nashville. I get that. I wonder. I don't think Calgary's as good as they showed. They said they had an awful lot of things go right for them uh, in, in the regular but season. But they still have an but, awful but, lot of talent. Okay, for no, hundred sure. percent. Uh, and this is the point I was going to make. I still don't see the Canucks being anywhere near that level. I, I, I think they can sort of move kind of the, to to the near the top of the next level. The teams that are pushing, I think, you know, when they talk about making that step forward next year, to me, that's what that step forward would be. If they make the playoffs next season, they should build a statue to Jim Benning in front of Rogers Arena. But Do you, you know, put it next in, to the in, Roger in the Nielsen meantime, one or but, the Pat Quinn one? But, but I how many still, statues I, do you get before yeah, you win well, a championship? Too, too. What's it say about this organization? <laughs> that, More you know, statues than no, well, no, Cup no, no. But the statue is somebody waving a white flag in front of the in front of the arena. Um, anyways. There comes a point when you have to stop being all about drafting and developing yeah. and look at all the fun young players we have and next year and we're there selling hope payoff. and all the rest of it. It's got to be something more than that. But when you look around the league, Ed, that's kind of where Colorado has been for the last five years and now it yeah. finally looks like it's coming together. Fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, they had pieces in place and if the Canucks had anybody who compared to Nathan McKinnon in their lineup, God bless them. But again, I, I look at the moves they've made around there since – you know, and they had the one piece in Duchesne that they flipped, and and look at the rats, and they've got coming forward. So on top of everything, they and they could have easily come out of this draft with the first overall pick. They're still going to get a hell of a player at four, but like Cal McCarr, I, I'm trying to figure if I can squeeze a whole column out of this, but I'm looking at the good young defensemen that have stepped up in the playoffs this season. If Quinn Hughes is as good as Cal McCarr, 
that's a hell of a thing for the Canucks. If he's as good as Heiskanen, that's a hell of a thing for the Canucks. It just seems these guys are like dropping out of the sky and, you know, playing at an elite level, uh, you know, in, in, in the hottest part of the spotlight in the, in the playoffs. And again, it kind of speaks of this whole thing about the Canucks. Yeah, they've improved in comparison to what they've been, but have they improved in comparison to the rest of the NHL? Right, and I, I caught that exa- exact example you were talking about with Duchesne and what happened in Colorado is another example of a, a GM going, yeah, I'm going to go for it. Yeah, and, and, and there are certainly lots of examples of that not paying off. I just think at some point, like I know this is the Canucks draft and there's no chance they're d- dealing their first round pick, but I think if it wasn't at home, you'd have to seriously look at 10 and going, well, either we package some stuff and move up, yeah. or we're, we don't see the value there for us and where we are. Let's take a chance on something else. And I I think this is where the, the limbo that the Canucks are. Again, in context of the playoffs right now, you look at St. Louis, you look at Colorado, you look at Dallas, and they do seem far, far deeper. I mean, they have, they all have top end talent. Mm-hmm. They are far, far deeper in those other role players that have got them to the second round of the playoffs. I also look at these other teams, though, Ed, and I look at teams that have been at the top of the totem pole in the Kings and the Ducks and the Blackhawks, and they may, they're they bouncing at the bottom now, and they, they're coming up on the heels of the Canucks as well. So this doesn't get any easier as teams like maybe Nashville and who knows about Calgary or Winnipeg are dropping a little bit. It's only going to get more difficult for the Canucks with the teams below them who have assets as well. Yes. Correct. <laughs> you, you are right. I, there's nothing further I, I can add to that. No, it's it's like a dog, well, it's a dog fight all over the NHL now. There's only a couple of teams you could look at and go, geez, they have no hope next year. There's just no hope at all. But, but you know, the Canucks, you know, you know they, they improved to the point where they, they, they went from, I'm sorry, where were they last year? I think they were... They, they, I think the progression goes 28th, 29th, 26th to 21st this year. So that's their improvement. So is the next stage to get up to 17th, 18th? I I think that's kind of the direction they're headed. But again, look around the rest of the NHL and, you know, they're they're, they're in so tough. It's, uh, yeah. As as we look at the teams in the playoffs, um, and again, there doesn't seem to be the interest in the Second round, over generally, overall, I think there's a ton of reasons for that, as there was in the first round. But I'm still seeing something amazingly fast and yeah. physical hockey yeah. being played. It really is. It's a, it's such a stark reminder of how plodding the regular season can be uh, in the NHL. Who do you really like at this point, or is there a team you like? Because it seems to me to be wide open. Yes. Yeah. No. Hundred percent. Honestly, going into this, the, the team I like because of the momentum, because of the way they're structured, and because they had the world's most interesting coach behind the bench, was Columbus. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and I, I see that, and, and I think that series is going to tell, really tell a story. And I think if Columbus comes out of that, I, I just like, God, they, they're just stacked. And the thing is, the things that kind of slowed them down for a little bit in, in, in March was the players they, they they acquired like two key pieces at the trade deadline and they obviously had a hard time fitting in and there is a theory that you can kind of you can you, you can change the support level of your team at the trade deadline but it's really hard to change like your top six or your top line or your top defensive pairing well they've kind of put the lie to that one in a big way and it uh, Columbus isn't the only team because like Duchesne 
has given them another elite score to go with Panarin, to go with Atkinson, who's widely underrated, to go with that crazy defense. You know, we're talking, Seth Jones, I understand, is a little different category, but he isn't that much older. He looks like the best defenseman in the NHL right now. He's just, he is a monster. So, having said all that, we're only 1-1, you know, with game three going tonight, and that Boston team is a nasty bit of business. But I still like the way the club is going. Uh, further to that that point, you know, you're talking about, you know, uh, GMs who have, you know, the, the balls to go out and make moves and, you know, strike and, and push all their chips in the middle of the table. Look at the moves that were made at the trade deadline because there is a school of thought out there. Uh, you Sometimes the deal you make is better than the deal or the deal you don't make is better than the deal you make. Look at Charlie Coyle, Coyle and Johansson in Boston. Look at Duchesne. Look at the guys. Look, look at Gus Nyquist in, in, in San Jose. I'm just wondering if this has kind of turned that thinking on its head. And I'm just wondering, because let's face it, the trade deadline the last couple of years has been acutely boring. Yep. Um, I just wonder if that th- this is going to change things. That was sort of my point earlier. I, I mean, you look at the Leafs where it was all there for them, and they were under... I mean, yes, they lost in a Game 7 to a very good Boston team, but... You know, I think sometimes you have to give up assets. Like yeah, you no, can't, 100%. This is, we yeah. joke about yeah. the Raymond Ballard in a second, but that that's endemic in so many teams around the league yeah. that you don't want to give up anything and you overvalue your own players. But I'm not much of a sports better, but man, I would love to have seen the odds if in January you put down $100 on Colorado, St. Louis, Columbus, and Carolina making the Final Four. I mean, that would be some story to be... I mean, it's already been some story with what we've seen, but I, yeah, Carolina has not looked out of place in the second round. Because sometimes we've seen this before. Uh, we certainly know the Canucks have benefited from it. You get a bit of an upstart, whatever the circumstances are in the first round. You catch a favorite by surprise. And you get through all these teams in the second round. Like, all these series are close. I mean, I know that the Islanders are down 2-0, even though they, they were the home team. Those games have been close. I, that's what I mean, the intensity of this hockey. All these teams sort of belong. But to to suggest that you that Carolina and Columbus would be a conference final uh, even a month ago would have been laughable, but I can absolutely see that now. See, for me, the other interesting thing is if you would have like looking at looked at the NHL two three years ago, you could easily identify. So I can't I do remember writing this. You could identify twelve to fourteen teams that were in some stage of a rebuild. Now they varied a bit, but for the most part, you could <laughs> you could identify a by their kind of crappiness. And B, just by the youth in their lineup. But you look at that, and those teams clearly included Carolina, Columbus, Colorado, uh, who else is still alive? The well, St. Island- Louis, I- Dallas, yeah, Islanders. Like- St. Louis, not so much. They were a little, they were a little fur- further along. Dallas, for sure. Yeah. Okay, they've all taken the next step. And I think Canucks fans can legitimately look at their team and wonder, are, you know, is it going to be our turn? Are we going to be one of those teams that have taken that, and in the Canucks case, it's going to be two steps to go from just kind of nowhere team to a team that can compete for a play, to a team that can actually make the playoffs and maybe even make some get some create some damage once they're there. Sports cliches are kind of funny, and and That's how hockey, I made my hockey, living. That's- hockey, yeah, absolutely, but hockey ones even more so. This whole thing now that everyone like someone puts something out there and everyone goes, mm, "That's a good point," and then we beat it to death. This idea that. By American Thanksgiving, we know what you are, and there'll be a little bit of jogging. At American Thanksgiving, nay, Christmas, how did St. Louis and Dallas and and Columbus and Colorado, like, how did all these teams look? I say that specifically because we know that on January 5th, St. Louis was the worst team in the NHL. Yeah. I also look at what was happening in Dallas, where 
both the superstar players there were given a public roasting yep. by the GM, and all of a sudden it was like, they're going to want out. This team's going to fall apart. But I look at some astute in-season management drastically changed the fortunes of a couple of teams here that are now steaming towards the conference finals. And you got to wonder if, again, let's get out of this conservative, that's the way we've always done it before approach. Yeah, yeah. again, yeah, we're, I think we're kind of revisiting the same point. And, and I'm not sure if sitting here on April 30th, 2019, the Canucks are there right now. I'm wondering if they are on July 1st, 2019. I wonder if they're there on like October 1st, 2019. I sure as hell wonder where, where they will be at next year's trade deadline, so I don't have the, that date on the top of my head. But they're rapidly getting to that point. Like I said, they can't sell this draft and development, hope for next year model in perpetuity. Somewhere along the lines, they have to show something tangible, and they offered a bit of a tease this season. They've got more coming. Fine. God bless you. We get that. Now show us some real, show us something substantial. Yeah. Well, it's. It's going to be it's going to be an awful lot of fun if we, the hockey hotbeds of Columbus and Carolina are your Eastern Conference finalists. I got to tell you, I'm sorry, I, I, I've got so I, I've been I've actually been to the Carolina. I've covered a couple of playoff series in Carolina, including the Stanley Cup final in '06, which is a wildly underrated Stanley Cup final between Edmonton and that that you have to. You have to have been there to understand how in the middle of the nowhere that rink is. And the best part is NC State's football stadium is right next to it. So there's actually a complex there. There's a reason for people to go there. Now, this is going back a number of years. I don't know if they've developed the area around any, there anymore. But driving in there, there were acres and acres of farmer's field, and, 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 and the odor wafting down there was pungent with manure and other fertilizers used to promote agricultural growth. Um, Raleigh itself is a really cool little town, but that's all it is. I mean, Jesus, you know, you can throw a bowling ball down there at 11 o'clock on a Friday night and have no fear of hitting anything. So it's, I understand it's a whole area and it's university and it's the new south and there's a tech development thing. And so, you know, in the, in, it, within an hour uh, of Raleigh, there's all kinds of neat things going on, but really where that stadium is. And we were trying to figure out while we were covering that series, okay, if they have a parade, where is it going to go? Down the main street of Raleigh? Don't think so. You know, it, it speaks to the whole Don Cherry bunch of jerks type thing. Like, look what they did to engage yeah, that yeah, fan base. And, and I think that obviously brought the players together. And I know they're not doing the storm surge thing for the playoffs. But they twigged onto something special with that that team. And they've it's engaged people. And I find that they're a very fun team to watch. Oh, 100%. Quick, yeah. quick, quickly before we go, I did want a word on the Giants. Um, you know, obviously it's not filling the NHL void, but it's a great story, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, they had hopes for Tyler Benson and this, they, they'd famously won the Memorial Cup and got some great alumni in the NHL, had big names that people were identifying with the franchise, but they went through that sort of dead period. And Bowen Byram has gone from being like, oh yeah, he could be a really good player as we go into the season to be like, holy shit, this yeah, guy is yeah. a very, very good player and will be gone long before the Canucks get to their 10th pick. This is a good Giants team and it's a good story. It is, you know, that dead period you're talking about. I think it was called the 2010s. It was, it was really for the, the, the that decade. They were virtually irrelevant. They had a couple of spikes in there, and they did show improvement last year. They had Tyron, and they had Tyler Benson. And it's funny, you know, you talk to them, and they figured this year they were kind of setting the table for next year. 
I don't think anybody anticipated yep. th- this playoff run this year. I don't think they anticipated that Byron would be as good as he have. They've got a goalie, David Tendek, who is really, for me, the reason why they are where they are. He has been the best goalie in every series they played so far. And that, that was a huge, huge development in the series against Spokane because there really wasn't much to choose. Uh, five on five in the lineups and anything but you know as it often does in the playoffs that goaltending is so important so the other neat thing about the Giants is I, I'm not sure Bone Byram's ready to play regularly in the NHL it depends on who drafts him and you know it depends on the situation but it's conceivable that defense could come back on mass next year and it might be better than the giant than the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> defense when they've got Byram and the Ploof kid and they've, they've got like and the kid who's been drafted, I'm sorry, whose name escapes me right now. But they are good and they are fast and they are, are deep. And the other star that's been identified is the coach, Michael Dick, who kind of came from out of nowhere. He's a really interesting cat. Uh, he was basically, he was like kind of one of the star coaches in the WHL. He took a step back. He started coaching his son's youth team and he became a day trader, a commodities trader. And did that for six, seven years, kind of fell off the grid. But, you know, he he had a connection with the Giants, had a connection with Toygo, had a connection with the GM, Barclay Parnetta. They hired him, and it looks like he is going to be a rising star in, in the coaching profession. So, like you said, it, it's a fun atmosphere. Uh, I always get confused because I'm never sure where I should stop to change my clock when I pass into the new time zone going into Langley. Other than that, it, it really is fun. So, And I'd urge people to go out there, but they're sold out anyway. Great stuff. Anyway, we'll have to leave it there. We're getting the Evil Live from producer Darren Makwana. We're running over time. Uh, but please subscribe to The White Tail through Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating, and we'll be back to conjure up more news next week.